Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. Tonight we're going to look at a very familiar passage that Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. And a familiar passage as it relates to the role of husband and wife. Let's begin. Let's begin in Ephesians chapter number 5. And I hope you'll follow along and, and look there for yourself. Ephesians 5 verse number 21. Ephesians chapter number 5 verse number 21. The Bible says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. And he's going to talk about the family relationships. And he starts here, and I won't hit on this too much tonight, but he starts in verse 21. The, the, and I'll touch on this a tiny bit at the very end of the message. But, but the, the, the thing that makes a family work the way it ought to is that everybody is living to serve the other. Submitting yourselves one to another. And we'll get there that we talk and we'll sometimes joke about wives submit. And that is a biblical command that, that in, some, in, in, in a lot of ways in our society is not a real popular message. But before we get to that command, it says submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. There is a, uh, in, in a family, we ought to live to serve one another. Where does conflict come in any relationship? Proverbs tells us only by pride cometh contention. If you have contention in any relationship in your life, it is, there is pride evident there somewhere, either on your end, the other person's end, or usually both. And, and only by pride comes contention. When we submit ourselves, when we humble ourselves, the contention that we feel in a marriage, the contention we feel at work, the contention that we'll feel between a teacher and a student, the contention that classmates will feel, contention between church members or a pastor and a church family, where does that contention come from? The roots of it are always in pride. I was not treated the way that I should have been treated. You mishandled the way you treated this situation. You handled this situation. My husband, wife, you, you didn't treat me. How could you? I've asked you over and over and over again to do that. And you don't, what is that? That is, I believe that I deserve to be treated a certain way. And, and this person is not meeting my expectations. And so contention comes. Conflict comes. And it can happen in any human relationship, that conflict, that contention. Now, continuing on, verse number 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water, by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. There's a secret there. If you're married, taking care of your wife is taking care of yourself. The way we would say that in, in our vernacular day is, if mama ain't happy, what? Ain't nobody happy. And if daddy ain't happy, Ain't nobody cares. That's what he says here. Basically, if you're smart, you're going to take care of your wife. You're going to keep her happy because that, then it, in, in turn, will, it will ensure some joy in your own life. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. 
Verse 29. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. And those that have been married would agree at times. It's a mystery that is unsolvable. This is a great mystery, he says. What is this, this union of marriage? But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Tonight I want to give us some thoughts on what God said about marriage. I heard about a Sunday school class, and kids are great, right? Kids, they'll say some of the craziest things. You ask them questions. Somebody said, uh, how did they say it? Our family had secrets until a Sunday school teacher started asking for prayer requests in the children's class or something. And then all secrets are out the window, right? But, but I heard about a Sunday school teacher was talking, and they, talking to kids, and they said, who can tell me what Jesus said about marriage? And little Johnny raised his hand. He, he lifted up his hand. He said, I know what Jesus said about marriage. I know what he said. She said, are you sure you know what Jesus said about marriage? He said, I, he said, she said, I'm going to give a prize to whoever can tell me what Jesus said about marriage. He said, I know what Jesus said about marriage. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And maybe sometimes if you're married, you feel that way. Father, forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. I need some help here. And, and that can be the case, really, as parents. We feel that way sometimes. What am I doing? How, how does this work? And tonight, my prayer, my goal is to show us a little bit about what God says through the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus about marriage. What, what, would, what would God have and I want you to see here the goal of marriage, I believe, that we should be striving for and in God's sight. You'll see it in verse number 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife. And they too shall be what, church? They too shall be? Shall be what? One flesh. And then he says, this is a great mystery. And, and I don't know that I understand all of it. But I do believe, and I can't explain all of this, I do believe there is something to this idea. The goal, if God, if, if you're not married and, and someday down the line you're going to get married, the goal is one flesh. I believe that spiritually speaking, this happens at marriage, at the, the, the marriage union. I can't explain all of that because just a, a, a pastor saying, I now pronounce you man and wife, but in God's sight, there is a commitment there. There's a covenant there. And, and in God's sight, I believe at that marriage commitment, there is, you become one flesh in his sight. Why do I believe that? Because Jesus did say, therefore, what God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. Now let me also, and I hope I don't always have to give caveats. I hope we understand my heart. I understand there are people in our church that, that you're single parents, you're divorced, and you're in church on a Wednesday night, and this is not in any way intended to be a condemnation. I, I come from a broken home. I was My mom and dad were never married. I was born out of wedlock. Then my mom did get married, and then I had a stepdad, and then they got divorced. I understand that sometimes those things happen. I understand that. So anything I'm talking about here is not intended to be any kind of a salt in the wound of, of, what, of, of that relationship in your life. But I do want to give biblical instruction. And so this idea of one flesh, I believe in God's sight, that happens there. What God hath joined together, I believe there's something that God joins together that we don't even understand really fully humanly. I believe, physically speaking, that happens at the consummation of the marriage. That's why it's so important, in my opinion, uh, and, and I think not just my opinion, I think biblically speaking, it's, it's so important, this idea 
of the physical side of marriage, God's word tells us to save that for the relationship of marriage. I was reading an article, or maybe it was somewhere on social media, and, 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 and an author was talking about, they said, so often Satan wants to get dating couples to do all that they can to keep, to, to, they can't keep their hands off of each other, and he wants to do whatever he can with married couples to get them to keep their hands off of each other, physically speaking. And, and I understand we've got young people in here, and I'm, I'm not going to dig too deep into that, but physically speaking, at the consummation of the marriage, I believe in God's sight, and that's why, young people, you ought to seek to keep yourselves right in that relationship, because the physical relationship is not just physical. There are emotional bonds and spiritual bonds and all kinds of things that God gave and that, that beautiful gift that's within marriage that was not intended to be outside of it. And so there's this one flesh spiritually in God's sight at marriage. There's this one flesh physically at the consummation of marriage. And then there is the practical one flesh. And here's the thing. That doesn't happen because you put on a nice white dress, wear a tuxedo, and exchange rings you don't become one flesh. And if anybody's been married for any length of time, you would say, we understand that. What's happening when people get married? You're bringing two very different people and trying to get them to live together. You have different backgrounds, different upbringings, different holiday celebrations, different, my wife's family, they opened all of their presents on Christmas Eve. My family, like good Christians, we always open them on Christmas morning. So we got married, and we had to figure out what we're going to do. Well, we're going to be a good Christian family, so we open, we open one on Christmas Eve. That's all right. But you open them on Christmas morning. How many of you agree with me? You're supposed to open your presents on Christmas. How many of you agree with my wife's family? You're supposed to open them all on Christmas Eve. See, it's only it's another pastor's daughter right there. See, you got to watch out. Jan Halcom over there. you got to watch out for those, those ones there. And you can't open them on Christmas Eve. Santa hasn't even come yet. So these are the important doctrinal things that we learn. But... But this idea of, of two becoming one, practically speaking, it's a lifelong journey. Again, just because you put on a white dress and a cool suit and have all your friends stand around you and come up with a hashtag that mixes your two names together doesn't mean you become one flesh. I went on Pinterest, I went on Instagram, I got all the cool decorations. We had the most beautiful uh, hashtag worthy wedding ever. Why are we struggling? What's happening? Why, why is it? How come it's not all fairy tales and unicorns as we skip through the flower fields hand in hand? The goal is one flesh, the Bible says, but the reality is the goal is man leaving father and mother, cleaving to his wife and then becoming one flesh. But the reality is two very different people, different families, different upbringings, different ways of resolving conflict, different communication skills. There's a couple in our church that I'm close to. And he's told me, he said, our family growing up, and uh, you, you know this family. Our family growing up, he said, we're yellers. When somebody's mad about something, we yell. We get right in each other's faces. And you do this and you do that. And his wife, he's, her whole upbringing, they never raised, her family never raised their voice once. Well, can you imagine the first time he had conflict and he started yelling and she broke down into tears? My dad would have never done. And all of a sudden, what are you doing? You're bringing two very different different levels of conflict resolution, different foods, different sports teams, different hobbies, different spiritual backgrounds sometimes. We bring different, 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 and then we wonder why we're having struggles. Families are strange. Have you figured that out? We all, if you're married, man, your, your family is strange. My wife thinks the way that our, my family operates is a little weird, and I think the way some of the ways her family operates is a little weird. And here's the thing, 
We, we, we like our own weirdness because we grew up with it. But in marriage, we have to learn how do we become one flesh. I want to give us a few thoughts, three words really tonight that I would give for married couples from this passage on becoming God's plan for a marriage that lasts, becoming one flesh. Number one, the first word is this, commitment to the relationship. Commitment to the relationship. You see it there in verse number 31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This doesn't seem in our Western society maybe as big of a deal as it would have been to the people Paul was speaking to. In, West, in our society, we kind of have this idea that at age 18, I just get to go live whatever life I want to live, and I'm, I'm going to go to college. That's American society. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to pick my own career. I'm going to live wherever I want to live. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And if, if it, you know, not everybody, but if it makes my parents happy or not, whatever makes me happy. We have a very, America is a very individualistic society. Our, our society is very, we prize individuality. The Eastern, much of the Eastern world, they prize communal, family. You go to many countries, you will find three and four and five generations of families living together in the same home or in the same, in the same area right there. In America, it's not uncommon. And, and again, every Eastern country is in this way, but it's much more like that. The mentality is much more family-oriented in some of those ways, especially generationally speaking, than, than America's, American culture would be naturally. It, it's nothing for a family. If you, many of you in this room, you have multiple children that you've raised. You might have one that lives in Florida and one in Pennsylvania, and many of you live thousands of miles from your parents. And, and that is the American society. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but, but we under, for us, leave your father and mother and cleave unto your wife, sure. For them, what he was saying was revolutionary. What he's saying is, the mo what, what did Jesus say when, when he called people to follow him? You have to leave father and mother to come follow me. Leave like that. I live to serve and whatever father and mother want. You can look all through scripture. What did Jesus say when they said, can I go bury my father? Let the dead bury their dead. What was he saying? To follow me, this relationship needs to be, your spiritual relationship needs to be more important than any other human relationship. But then through Paul, what he tells the church here is, in marriage, that relationship becomes the most important human relationship on earth. Again, for, for our society, we understand that a little bit more. It doesn't seem as revolutionary for that, that, that society to forsake father and mother to follow Jesus. That was a crazy thought for them, a, a crazy. And, and Paul here is teaching that this new relationship takes priority above all else. And may I say, if, 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 for married couples, my challenge would be, how is your commitment to that relationship and and sometimes it can be a family member that can cause a problem in the relationship. Sometimes it's a friend. Sometimes it's a coworker. And what happens is all of a sudden we start finding companionship and not always in, a, in, 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 a, in an affair type situation, but even just I can share my heart with this friend or my sister or my brother or my mom or my dad. 
And in our marriages, I'm not saying that you can't reach out to mom or dad to get guidance, but the first time there's conflict, uh, wives don't need to be calling mom or dad and telling everything that the husband or vice versa. And again, I'm not talking about if there's some sort of abuse that you, you, you don't deal with that, but, but, but be careful that the first person that you share whatever's happening in your life with, it should be, if you're married, it should be your spouse. That's the closest human relationship. That How are we going to become one flesh? He says it here. You leave father and mother. That was unthinkable. And you cleave unto your wife. By the way, do you ever think about the fact in our society, what do we do with the bride? We say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's like the, 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 the girl is leaving father and mother in our society, right? Gabe, you've, you've, you've shot, photographed like a thousand weddings. Have you ever seen where they asked the husband, who gives this man to be married to this woman? Have you seen that? In our society, it's the girl leaving mom and dad and coming. Isn't it interesting that in this passage, he says, so shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Why is that? Because again, in their society, what was it? They would go, and a lot of them were arranged marriages. They, 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 would, they would go find somebody and say, this is who you're going to marry, and you would pay a dowry. And I, I like that idea. You have to pay a dowry, you get a lot. But then I have three boys, so I don't really like that idea because I only have two girls, so it's going to cost me more if I have to pay for, for, uh, for three because they would pay the dowry for a young lady. And then they would pay that, that lady's family, and she would come, and she would join the young man's family. They would pay that dowry. And what is Paul saying here? Oh, no. And this doesn't mean that they couldn't still be a part of the family. It is true. When you get married, you marry the family. That's a very true statement. And be aware of that. Uh, but but what, what is he saying? He's saying this isn't just a young lady's coming to join this big family. No, you are making this relationship the most important relationship in your life besides your relationship with God. No friend should be closer. By the way, may I say in America, what we have to deal with often is that our children become the priority. In America, we have child-centric homes. That's not God's plan. The marriage relationship is more important than the child relationship. Now, children take a lot of time, money, energy, and they, they, they should. We should be investing them each and every day. But do not, it's so easy. The natural course of events, if God blesses a marriage with children, is for those children to take, to, to monopolize all of the time, the money. That's why you've got to fight for that relationship. The husband and wife relationship, it should still be there when the kids are all gone. And how many times after kids get raised and husband and wife kind of look at each other like, who are you? Where have we been the last 25 years? We got we to get to know each other again. That's not healthy. And my wife and I have been there at seasons of our lives for days or weeks or maybe even longer than that at times where we're just running a home together, but we're not really servicing that marriage relationship as much as we should. Now, thankfully, I don't think it's been, it's definitely not been the majority of that time, but there have been seasons of that. You have five children involved in all different things, and all of a sudden you can go a day or two or a week or two and you're like, Man, we haven't even talked. What's going on? And, and we're, we're communicating. We're running a house together, but we're not developing. We're not, we're not keeping that cleave unto his wife, that, that, that picture of the closest relationship on earth. No, no children. Children shouldn't take precedence. Friends shouldn't. Family shouldn't. In-laws shouldn't. Sometimes in-laws can dominate and be destructive to a relationship. My mom, she's probably watching. She, she kind of likes the pastor of this church, and so she watches a lot of the... Uh, the messages here and tunes in. And she, I think she knows this. This isn't going to be a shock to her. But my wife and I, I remember my father-in-law saying that 
usually the first year of marriage is sometimes one of the most difficult. You're kind of trying to figure out how to, how to live together. And in our marriage, the biggest fights that we've ever had, the biggest, the, the most tears that we've had, all of those probably as it relates to at least our relationship came in that first year of marriage as we figured out how to navigate the leaving of our parents and the cleaving to each other. And, and our parents figuring out, both of us were firstborns, how to let their adult children be married and figure that out. And, and it's not easy parenting adults, is it, those of you that have done that? And, and we would have, there, there were some things where some of the, the, the dynamics with the in-laws brought great strain on our relationship. And, and we struggled through some of that, what we were trying to learn, one flesh, a commitment to the relationship. This relationship is more important than any other relationship. Number two, I'm going to give you three words. Number two, a closeness in the relationship. Not only a commitment, but a closeness. Do you see it there? So the, the commitment is a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined unto his wife. Do you see the closeness? And they too shall be one flesh. How does that happen? I'm going to give you three thoughts on, on how do you develop that closeness. How, things that what, what are some things that develop and maintain closeness in, a, in any relationship, but in a, in a, especially in a marriage relationship? Number one, I would say communication. Communication. My wife knew I was speaking on marriage, and two or three times this week, I forget what it was, where, where I did something, and she said, I don't know if she remembers what it was. She said, you're not being a very good husband. You're preaching on marriage on Wednesday night. You better, and she loves it when she knows I'm preaching on that. She can hold it over the pastor's head. Like, you need to practice what you preach. And there have been times where she'll say, hey, we're not communicating. We haven't, we, we've talked, but we're not really sharing our hearts. We, we're not, we're not communicating and the Bible says to husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. How do you learn about someone? You talk to them. You listen to them. And, and you know what? When you're dating, this is natural and it happens automatically. When you're dating, now that you've got with texting, whatever, there's hundreds of text messages and social media posts and phone calls. And, and, and in the old days, pager buzzes, you know, in the old days, I had a pager. That's a kid's. Go look on the internet what a pager is. And my wife would send, you know, one, four, three. I think it was, if that meant I love you. And if you some other thing, you put numbers in, you could hold it upside down and it said hello. And what we're, we're constantly trying to find ways to communicate, to keep that connection there. When can I see you next? Okay, I'm getting off work at this time. Can I stop by your house? Let's go out to eat, whatever it is. There's then we want to communicate when we're dating. And after we get married and we've been married for a little while, if we're not careful, we get complacent and we wonder why is the closeness struggling? How are we doing in communication? Oh, we're connected to everything except the stuff that matters. We're not, we're so connected that we're disconnected from our, from our true families. And we're, 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 we're connected with people here. I was talking to, we took our basketball team uh, to a tournament last week and we were driving in downtown Pittsburgh. And only one of the guys I think had ever been to Pittsburgh. And, and I had eight guys in my van, and I think seven of them had their heads down while we're driving through downtown Pittsburgh looking at their cell phones. And I said, hey guys, you're literally in a city you've never been in in your entire lives, seeing sights you've never seen and you may never see again, and you're stuck worried about what somebody posted on Instagram that you just checked it seven minutes ago. Enjoy where you're at, but the truth of the matter is, it's easy for me to say that because I was driving and I couldn't be on my phone, but I've done the exact same thing. And we've got television going and we've got movies and Netflix and, and if we're not careful, we'll go entire days living around each other and never communicating. 
never talking to each other. One of the best things you could do for your marriage is make a commitment to spend 5, 10, 15 minutes per day with no distractions, talking about your day, your life, what's going on for our family. That's often about four times a week around the dinner table. And it's an opportunity for us to connect and talk about why I want there to be a closeness in our family. I want to know what's happening in our children's lives, and I want them to know what's happening in my life. And there have been seasons where our communication has been better than others. But what is that? We're trying on some level on a daily basis to, to, to foster that connection, that closeness, that communication. Daily communication, weekly time together, husbands and wives. I've never been great at a weekly date night. I respect those, those marriages that are, but have some weekly time together as a couple and as a family. If you have children, annual trips together. I've heard it said about our personal schedule. I've heard it said this way, divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually. Meaning we're, not, we're human beings, not human doings. We're not robots. And so you need to, for your own mental health and sanity, you need to learn to divert daily, take some time to rest, maybe take a nap, read a book, divert daily, withdraw weekly. You need a day off somewhere or at least a half day somewhere, a couple hours, go ride a bike or sit out by the ocean and listen to the waves. Withdraw weekly for your own self. You need to renew and refresh and abandon annually. But I think that's a great pattern for families and for relationships as well. Divert daily, daily time of communication. Withdraw weekly, maybe set up a time, two or three or four hours or an hour or 30 minutes where you can just connect and abandon annually, maybe a, a family vacation or take a few days off. So how do you stay close? One flesh, number one, communication. Number two, intimacy. Intimacy. Again, I won't go too far into this, but the Bible does say, 2 Corinthians 7, Paul talking to the church at Corinth that struggled, they struggled with a wrong view of the physical relationship of marriage. They struggled with fornication, with, with physical relationships outside of marriage. And Paul warned them, he said in 2 Corinthians 7, don't defraud one another. This relationship is an important part of keeping the relationship close. And here's what he said. When he said, don't defraud one another, he said this, you, you should not physically, unless there's a, a physical reason, you should not be separate for a long period of time. Here's what he said, lest Satan tempt you. Satan will come in and tempt a marriage relationship that is struggling in that area. Communication, intimacy. By the way, if you'll focus on closeness in communication, being emotionally close, the physical closeness will follow. I, re I heard about uh, a couple that was struggling in their marriage. And uh, they were struggling with, with communication. They were struggling with the, their, their, their uh, physical relationship. And he took them to a therapist. He took them to the counselor. And and uh, they sat down, and the husband kind of sat down and looked down and sh sh slumped his shoulders. And the, the counselor said, what can I help you with? And the wife just started going. She started going. She had a long list, and she was going to get it all out. Well, he does this, and he does that, and, I, and this here, and I've told him this, and for 10 years, and for 15 years, and he does this. And for she went on for 5 minutes, for 10 minutes, for 15 minutes. Finally, the counselor stood up. He walked over. He grabbed her by her shoulders. He picked her up, put her against the wall, and gave her a kiss right on the mouth, a, 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 a kiss right there, a long kiss right on her mouth. The counselor, the husband kind of looked up like, what's this guy doing to my wife? He sat her back down. He looked at the husband. He said, you know what she needs? She needs that at least twice a week. Can you do that? He said, well, I think I can bring her here Tuesdays and Thursdays. Yes. And uh, 
What was he saying? He's the counselor telling him, counselor, there, you like that one, Dr. Melton? <laughs> was that your loud laugh back there? The doc, what's he telling him? Hey, our, our, we need, we need communication. There needs to be notes. There needs to be appreciation, but there needs to be a hug, a kiss, a, a, a physical affection, letting your husband or wife know that there is a closeness there. And number three, number three, what keeps closeness? Number three, thoughtfulness. You see what it says in, in verse, number, uh, verse number 29? For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. What is to nourish and to cherish? It's to feed and to take care of. What does he say here for the husband to the wife? He should show thoughtfulness, by the way, the saying of the wife to the husband. Nourisheth and cherisheth it taking care, meeting needs, but going beyond meeting needs and really just that idea of, you can, when you think of the words nourish and cherish, it's the idea of, of to value, of, of to go above and beyond. What, where is she lacking? What, what was she like? What can I nourish? How can I cherish her? It's been said familiarity breeds contempt. The longer we're around anything, our tendency is to take it for granted. Anything. The longer you're around anything, your tendency is to take it for granted. When something's new, it's exciting. You get a new car, it's exciting. You get a new job, it's exciting. You move to a new house, it's amazing. The longer you're, it doesn't matter how nice it is, the longer you're around anything, you begin to take it for granted. And it loses, naturally speaking, it loses its luster. It loses it what, what it does for you. Anything. I, I learned this, my wife and I. When we got married, I sold my 1985 Honda Accord, my 15-year-old Honda Accord. I sold it. My wife brought it into marriage a 1990 Infiniti. It was 10 years old, Infiniti sedan, and uh, a 10-year-old Infiniti sedan that was it was it, nicer looking than mine. But within, I think, four or five months of marriage, the transmission or engine, whatever, it just completely died. We should have kept my 85 Honda Accord and not her nicer 90 Infiniti. And because of that, we were a married couple with no car. I hadn't yet read Dave Ramsey's book, and so we went out and bought a new car six months into marriage. If you're just getting married, don't go buy a new car six months into marriage. Not the smartest thing. But again, either Dave Ramsey hadn't wrote, written his book yet, or nobody had given it to me. And, uh, and so we got, and we got this 2000. We got married in 2000. We got a 2000 Honda Accord. It was the, the EX, the highest top of the line one. Uh, we got the windows tinted. It had the tan leather interior. It was, I mean, this thing was beautiful. When we got it, you know what I did to that car? I nourished and cherished it. I nourished it and cherished it. You know what I did? Really, I don't know anything about 87, 89, 91. I, I don't really know what that does, but I figured 91's gotta be better. So I paid the extra money to get the 91 in that car because I was gonna keep that thing for a long time. Again, I, for the last 15 years, I've always put the cheapest one in my cars and they've been okay. So I, I think it's just a scam. I don't really know what they're doing with the 87, 89, 91. But, but Steve, I was willing to pay the extra to keep that thing running good. It was my first new car. You know what I did? We lived in a little part, a little condo in Milpitas, California. And we had one carport stall we could park our car in. And you know what I did? I had bought a, a feather duster and I kept it a, a car one, one of those car feather duster things that I kept it in the, in the trunk. And every time we would get home and pull into the carport, you know what I'd do? I'd go to the trunk and I would grab that feather duster thing, the car one, and I would go and I would wipe all the dust that got off of it that day. What was I doing, man? I would, we weren't allowed to eat in that car. Nobody was eating in that car. 
And what was I doing? I was nourishing, giving it the good gas, and cherishing. Really, Once a year, at that point, probably twice a year, I had it fully, completely, professionally detailed. I mean, from top to bottom, inside, matte shampooed, all of it. And we bought a, we bought a van, 2006, the van we drive today. We got a month before TJ was born. And we bought that van 14 and a half, 15 years ago. And you know what we did when that van came? Again, kids weren't allowed to eat in it. They weren't allowed when they came in. They were, and I, I would get that thing detailed at least once a year. I took care of it. You go to the van tonight in the parking lot. Guess what? That, that car hasn't been detailed in a decade. I still have it. It's about 15 years old. It's all scratched up. The CD player doesn't work. There's trim pieces falling off of it. There's a French fry from 2009 in one of the cup holders. I put the cheapest gas in it that I can find, which isn't very cheap these days. But wherever I can find the cheap, I don't, what, what, what happens the longer you're around something, you begin to take it for granted. What am I saying? If you're, you're married, again, these are things that most of the time naturally happen when dating, but don't naturally happen a little bit into marriage. Send a text, go out on a date, write a note, buy a small gift, do something special. And by the way, that changes. When my wife and I were dating, every Friday night, I would bring her a bouquet of flowers from Costco before we would go out on a date. And uh, now, my wife would much rather have me back in the living room while she watches HGTV. That's much better than a, a, a dozen flowers. What, what, what they like changes with time there. And uh, she'll say, can you vacuum the, 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 the house? I'll say, I'm running to Costco to get you some flowers. She'll say, I don't care about flowers. Go vacuum the house. And uh, any of you guys know what I'm talking about out there? A few of you. But you've got to fight for that time, that, that opportunity, not only with your spouse, but also with your kids, that closeness. I read this in an article. A healthy family is built through extended time together. Today, our culture is built on busyness. We fill every free moment with sports practices, karate lessons, music recitals, and more. Every extracurricular activity takes precedence over family time. Here's what the writer says. May I strongly challenge you to swim upstream and resist this trend. 20 years from now, most of these extracurricular things will not be important to your adult child, but your family's culture and the time you spent together will prove to be invaluable to your grown child and to your grandchildren. God wants the family to have closeness. And that starts with husband and wife. I've heard it said to, to husbands, to dads, one of the best things you can do for your children is to love their mother. One of the best things a husband can do or a father can do for his children is to love his wife. That relationship needs to stay the priority. So we have, we have a commitment to the relationship. Leave father and mother, a closeness, become one flesh. Number three, and we're done. A Christ-likeness in our relationship. You see it in verse number 32? Would you read verse 32 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This, this picture I've just given you of marriage is a great mystery, but what I'm talking about is Christ and his love for the church. What I'm talking about is the gospel. Jesus came to die for the church. I'm showing you marriage, earthly marriage should show everyone around you. Your relationship should show everyone around you what it, what, how much God loved us to send Christ to die for us. That's why he says, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it 
that he might present it. What does he say? When people look at your marriage, they should see what it's like. They should see the picture of the gospel. They should see a husband loving his wife and say, why does he, why is he so unselfish? And why is he, why is he so selfless? Why does he love his family so much? Because I've received the love of Christ and it changes me. It's not my old lady. It's not this, I don't treat her like the old ball and chain. No, it changes how I treat her. Why? Because I, as the bride of Christ, have experienced the love of Christ in my life. Now I want to try to love my bride. I'll never love my bride on the level that Christ loves the church, but I want to try to love my bride with the sacrificial, wholehearted love that Christ gave to the church. How much did Christ love the church? He says he gave himself for it. He gave, he gave everything. There was no self-serving in Jesus. The whole passage is showing us that our marriage is a picture of the gospel. The wife, a picture of the church, submits to her God-given leader and shows great love and respect. By the way, we have a wrong idea of what biblical submission is and and ladies we we balk at that why maybe because as husbands we have not learned what it is to love our wives and we think that this is somehow some inferior terrible place to be that that i have spiritual authority over me as church members do we feel abused or mistreated by our savior no we're the bride of christ and we're happy to be serving him because he loves us so much and that's the way a relationship should work. The, the wife shows great love and respect. The husband, a picture of Christ, lives sacrificially and shows a completely unselfish love, not living for his own selfish pleasures. How can she meet my needs? How can she make me happy? How can she bring pleasure to me? No, how can I sacrificially give everything to show her love? By the way, both of those start with submission to each other in the fear of God in verse 21. Submission is the oil that makes the gears of relationships, especially family relationships, run smoothly. Let me say that statement one more time. Submission is the oil that makes the gears of relationships, especially family relationships, run smoothly. So here's the question. Do people see the gospel of Christ in your marriage? Is there anything different about your relationship and mine than those that don't know the love of Christ? Do they see a love and respect from the wife that they don't see in other wives? Do they see a selfless, sacrificial love from the husband that they don't see in other husbands? Husband, if you're unkind, impatient, self-serving, downgrading, you're not picturing Christ. That's not how Christ treats us. Wives, if you're nagging, unwilling to respect or submit to the God-given authority, you're not picturing Christ and the church. The key words, the key words here. For the wife, it says submission. For the husband, it says sacrifice or love. By the way, one best-selling author said it this way. He said that the great marriage relationship must be filled with love and respect. He said this, he said in his book, it's called Love and Respect from a Christian perspective. He said, generally speaking, a woman needs to know she is loved, accepted, safe, and secure. She needs to know she's cherished, she's loved, generally speaking. Generally speaking, a man needs to know that he is respected and appreciated. You say, well, that might just be that author's idea. Let's look at what Paul said in the last verse. See the last verse? Verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular 
So what, church? So what's the word? Love his wife, even as himself. And the wife see that she what, church? Reverence her husband. Respect. Love and respect. Husbands, how are you doing in community? Now, again, wives need respect and husbands need love. But husbands, how are you doing in communicating love? Wives, how are you doing in communicating respect? Does your husband know that you respect him? Does your wife know that you truly love her? Yeah, I told her when we got married, if anything changes, I'll let her know. That's not how it's supposed to work. I read this statement, and I'll close it up. If your Christianity doesn't work at home, it's not working at all. If the gospel doesn't have the power to change your marriage, why would others think it would have the power to change their lives? So the goal, one flesh. Marriage above all other relationships. Constantly feeding and caring for the relationship. And it's a picture of Christ and the church. Well, you don't understand. My wife doesn't, she doesn't submit to me. Are you loving her as Christ loved the church? Well, my, my, my husband, he doesn't. It's amazing. Why do we love Christ? We love him, the Bible says, because he first loved us. If you'll focus on being who you're supposed to be, it's amazing how, how that love, that respect, that, that sacrifice will change that other person. Didn't the love of Christ completely change you and your behaviors and your attitudes and your mindset and your priorities? He loved me so much, I want to give my... You're here on a Wednesday night. Why? I don't think it's because you have to be. I think it's because he loved me so much, I want to come learn more about him. I want to see others. I want to grow in him. Why am I here? The love of Christ changed my priorities. You could be somewhere else on a Wednesday night. It changed my behaviors. It changed my thinking. I could be home watching TV. No, I want to go, I want to go hear a guy yell at me about marriage. That's what I want to go do. Why is that? The love of Christ has changed us. If you'll focus on being who God wants you to be, it's amazing how God will use that to change those you love into what they need to be. Now, the goal isn't to change them. The goal is God change me. And by the way, it doesn't always work out that way. I know that there are abusive situations and there are situations where a spouse is evil or a family member is, is wicked and cruel, and I understand that. But we, we have a responsibility. How are we doing in that commitment to the relationship? How are we doing in the closeness? Communication, intimacy, thoughtfulness, nourish and cherish. How are we doing in our Christ-likeness? Do people see Jesus in the way your family treats one another? You say, I'm not married. Do people see Jesus in the way you treat friends and neighbors and coworkers, relatives? Do people see Jesus in the way you go about your business, the way you handle your life? He said here, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.